0: hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of unwise girls i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your
1: other host jane
0: and we're your favorite podcast all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we've we've finished the Kane Chronicles, so I guess we're just we're we're doing a retrospective. It's our it's it's uh wait, Jane, what's the what's the looming darkness that's coming towards us? Uh wait, what? <laughs> the the looming darkness? Do you see it approaching us? Uh
1: yes. I'm not 100% across on what bit we're doing. Here.
0: <laughs> it it seems we've entered a dark world, a world that you might call under.
1: Oh, I see what we're doing.
0: It seems we've entered the the river of the afterlife, and I'm noticing on the shore that there's a big billboard that says, uh, Percy Jackson News.
1: Oh, there's Percy Jackson News. It kind of seems like the wrong place for it. Why would it not be on, like, the River Styx instead of the Duat?
0: Uh, you know, it's really weird. I don't know. I guess maybe <laughs> it's just the popularity thing. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, but I, I have a blog post here before we get into our retrospective, which is what we're doing here today. Uh, I have a blog post from Rick Riordan. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, this is titled Greetings from Lystragonia. Made April 3rd, 2022. So two days ago as of this recording. And it said, uh, I'm just going to read some of this to you. And I want to I know your reaction. Okay. There's a joke in the Sea of Monsters about how to translate Lystragonians, the cannibalistic giants from the far north, into English. When Percy asks, Annabeth thinks for a second, and then deadpans, Canadians. The joke, of course, is that nothing could be farther from Lystragonians than Canadians, who are lovely people, and who, as far as I know, never practice cannibalism. Right. Uh, at any rate, Becky and I have spent the past week in Northwest Lystrogonia, otherwise known as Vancouver, setting up an apartment and office for our use this summer when we will be uh, here pretty much full time filming Percy Jackson and the Olympians season one. oh So... Uh, this- this blog post, there's some- there's some- there's some big Percy Jackson news. So, they're- they're in Vancouver, they're at the studio, so it says they- they had meetings with the props and costume departments to get a show-and-tell about what they're working on. So many things to think about that would never have occurred to me. What kind of backpack does Percy use? What kind of t-shirts would he wear? What kind of sheath does Annabeth use for her dagger? Is Grover a cargo shorts kind of guy? And the all-important question, what pattern does Chiron prefer in a sweater vest? Fascinating, I feel like it's really a sign of Rick Riordan being a pretty good write- writer that he just like hasn't he doesn't have a full like lore document about all these things. <laughs>
1: this feels like a call out for a uh, certain other prolific children's book author who often brags about having dossiers full of this kind of information.
0: Well, you know there are so many is the problem, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I meant the stinky turf Wizard Lady,
0: uh-huh. Uh, We looked at various mockups for camp armor and weapons, different shades of orange for the camp t-shirts and how each would appear on camera, and even a mood board of various types of blue candy. We also saw some early replicas for Riptide. and got to play around with them. The blades were sharp, but somehow I managed not to hurt myself or anyone else. And then I guess I had a video conference with higher ups at Disney Studios showing off concept art and the higher ups were like, cool. Uh, And so uh, then there's some casting news at the very end. Okay. Apparently, there are a couple week in the, in the next in the next few weeks, uh, there will be, there will be the three main leads announced probably all at once. Ooh. But that's just the guess from McRiordan, uh. And currently, they are in the process of looking for other actors. Mhm. And, I think that's everything. Uh, apparently, the script is going well. They've have they have the scripts for the first four episodes. Nice. Um and this is kind of this kind of threw me apparently there's a, a rights deal for the daughter of the deep movie went through <laughs> that was quick so i guess <laughs> uh-huh. i haven't even had time to figure out what that one's about but there's already a movie <laughs> and also and the, the 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 nico book is also on track for 2023 publishing date
1: i see it's so everything's everything's coming up right
0: Everything's coming up, Rick. Was that interesting enough to be a new segment or should cut all that out?
1: That was interesting, actually, because there's a couple of, like, things that can be gleaned from this.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, I'm kind of split on them being in Vancouver, because mm-hmm. on the one hand, thank God that they are filming, like, on location instead of just using that fucking volume thing they have in the Disney studios. Uh-huh. Like, that, that would be horrible if it was just all filmed on that.
0: Right, if it was, like, the fucking Mandalorian or whatever. Exactly. On the other hand
1: uh i'm pretty sure the camp half blood in the first two movies was just an anonymous canadian forest
0: Uh, yeah i think we specifically called that out as being just (laughs) like a forest in vancouver
1: (laughs) so i'm hoping that it's not just the same fucking forest or a different forest that looks the same
0: the problem is you could use the same forest but just like make it look good yeah
1: could you i feel like you need some wide open spaces for camp half blood you need you need to cut down some of those fucking trees
0: yeah, that's true. They should do some just like general tree cutting down. I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, yeah, you're right, because in the movies, Camp Half Blood felt so cramped and it did not feel like a camp. It felt like a fucking war station. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I do hope we get those like wide clearings and stuff like that. That would be nice. Uh, also,
1: it seems like um, Raijin has quite a lot of creative control
0: yeah
1: maybe this is all like token bullshit that you give to the writer anyway but like i mean at the very least this doesn't seem like stuff he was consulted on for the last set of movies because he says that he was surprised by having all these questions on his mind Uh uh-huh so it seems like he's got more of a handle on things this time around which is hopefully good
0: i imagine they're at least getting his input Mm -hmm. you know like it's if it, my my worst nightmare is that this becomes like, and it won't happen, um, but uh, it's like I think I wouldn't be so sure. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is that like the, the my worst the not my worst nightmare, but the other end of this, the other bad end of this is that this becomes the Rick Riordan production.
1: Uh, how, what, what do you mean? Expand on that a
0: little. I don't know. Like, I think it's possible to give the original author a little bit too much control. <laughs> yeah, I
1: guess that's true. Are we are we thinking of the Stinky turf Lady again?
0: I mean, for sure, but just, like, <laughs> I think that the the nuances, the advantages of an adaptation is that you don't necessarily need to consult the original author. Like, it can be good, too, but, I don't know, sometimes you gotta get bogged down in it in a way. I feel like there have been certain things that have happened like that. Obviously, it, like, it really is just kind of a, up in the air whether that'll be mm-hmm. good or not. But,
1: yeah, I yeah, don't know. I guess the good universe version of this is that it turns out, like, um... Like The Expanse, where, you know, the the writers of the book sat down and got how to write a script beaten into them by the showrunner.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And
1: then turned in some pretty good scripts for the actual show.
0: Oh, that's true, because it does... Did it sound like Rick Riordan was was writing some of these scripts? I think he said that he
1: co-wrote, at the very least, the first
0: one. Okay, yeah. It says there's a writer's room and that we have scripts. So, yeah, it's not just him, for sure. Yeah. Which is good.
1: Yeah, that that would probably be a bit of a
0: nightmare. Uh, I don't know. Anything else we want to talk about this news uh, before moving on? No, I think
1: that's everything. I mean, it doesn't sound like there's any disasters brewing just yet.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, speaking of disasters, there's a big waterfall coming up, and we're about to fall into a lake of lava. Ah, uh, sploosh!
1: Is this a metaphor for the first book?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, no. We've we've arrived. It's we've made a very quick trip, and we're at the Hall of the Dead now. Uh and they're giving us these funny robes, and it looks like Jane, we've been given the task of judging the souls of these three books.
1: <laughs> I wanna hold on it. That's my condition.
0: You get to hold it. Hell yeah. Jane, the King Chronicles was like quite the experience.
1: It was a fucking roller coaster.
0: It was a roller coaster of quality, of fun, <laughs> of quantity, big books. Big books certainly bigger than they needed to be, perhaps. Smaller than they, they needed to be, maybe. Also, perhaps. Hard to say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, do how do we start this off?
1: I guess I guess we wait for the doors to be slammed open and for some demons to like bring in the red pyramid, like in chains, kind of duffed up a little bit from an interrogation, and to like throw it on the floor.
0: Uh huh yeah and I, I see that this is happening now. they've They've been interrogating this book for over 12 hours, which is probably <laughs> about how long we interrogated that book. Probably yeah. Um, and it, it looks pretty bad. I think that really interrogation this sort of is sort of just like usually sort of a torture thing.
1: I mean waterboarding is bad enough when it's a person, but it just kind of ruins a book.
0: That's really true. <laughs> um, so let's let's open up these sopping wet pages. and just like discuss the red pyramid for a second i'll tell you what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go and toss it on the beach next to the lava so
1: it dries out while we talk about it
0: that's a pretty good idea this is listeners do you enjoy this visual treat we're giving you (laughs) such like a guided toy this is like a this is like alice isn't dead or like the magnus archives or like any (laughs) of those like famous this is this is basically just like that
1: British people will be like, the Rusty Quill is licensed under a Creative Commons Commons, 4.0 share alike.
0: (laughs) God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. Um, Fuck, what are we talking about? Sorry, I just got distracted by thinking about the Magnus Archives. Um, (laughs) So, The Red Pyramid was not a great book.
1: No, it was uh quite a shock to go into that from last Olympian Mm-hmm. which was you know pretty good
0: yeah it was like I don't know I think that it had a lot of good stuff in it like there was uh, do we want to start from the bad stuff and then work our way up that sounds like a good idea all right uh Rick Riordan forgot how to write action <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a problem that started in this book and only kind of got worse as it went on. Uh Uh-huh. Where just the the fast pace and the elegance kind of drained out of it and we had, like, a lot of rules being thrown at us in every fight but not really, like, built on in subsequent fights. No. Just kind of made everything a drag.
0: Yeah, that was a big problem. Like, there were definitely moments where it got back to the heights that it, that like rick Riordan action once had been at mm. which is never like i don't know i don't think that the fight scenes are ever what i've been here for necessarily but there were some really damn good ones in percy jackson and the olympians and i don't know yeah. there were some really good ones in the series too but not as many
1: no definitely not
0: like what what do we got here for act like I don't know. Uh, also, I've brought in the other two books, and they're also quivering on the ground, so let's just talk about the entire thing. <laughs> okay, this is
1: this is already breaking down.
0: It's fine. I just realized I wanted to actually talk about this as a series as a whole. Alright, cool. Unless, uh, unless you want to do it book by book. I feel like we should go book by book. Okay. Because I'm like, how much do but, I have like, to say about the Red Pyramid itself? I don't know. The, uh, were there any good action sequences?
1: Oh, you know what? The fight with um the cat god who isn't Bast.
0: Oh, oh Sekhmet,
1: right? Yeah, that that fight where like they're running around, they're getting like drone-sized arrow shot at them and they like trick her into drinking a bunch of hot sauce cuz she thinks it's blood. Uh-huh. That was a, that was a cool fight with a fun resolution.
0: It was. It was. Like this is I remember like that moment specifically sort of marking itself as a high point of the book.
1: Oh, and you know what? That was actually following um, the actually pretty good fight between Desjardins and Amos in um, Las Cruces.
0: Oh, right, right, right. I forgot all about that.
1: Yeah, that was a good fight. It was fun to see Desjardins be competent for once. So, it's not It's not without. It's. It's good moments
0: if this were a podcast where we gave awards to some to some people and weren't just like judging their <laughs> souls uh i would i would give desert End a pass yeah i think he he did pretty good in this series
1: i mean he fucking killed himself to save the world in the second yeah, book he, i feel like he probably gets a pass for that if nothing else
0: mm-hmm. like i don't remember a lot from throne of fire but i i don't know desert End, this whole thing is what i is sort of the main thing that sticks in my mind uh-huh uh Uh,
1: other problems with red pyramid racism
0: oh yeah a little bit of that
1: (laughs) thankfully disappeared from the later books but it's still there and it still sucks
0: well rick riordan decided he wanted uh he wanted to write a black protagonist uh you know he probably did a little bit of research into that maybe i don't know uh he did a little probably you know tried to come at things from empathetic perspective uh and you know oftentimes i think he's he succeeded when he but i think the other half the time he failed it's so weird because i feel like
1: the the racist stuff in the book almost none of it directly concerns carter yeah i think he's a well-written character and the way that like he deals with the fact that he's black and the way that affects society uh is not actually that bad in the book It's just Uh everything else around it, just the Elvis shit, the one neighborhood in Minnesota, which is just described in a very stereotyped way.
0: Yeah, it's it's carelessness. It's all carelessness. Yeah, like a really like oh yeah, of course this is a white writer writing this. Like of course Mm -hmm. he doesn't like like (laughs) care enough to think. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which I don't know. Maybe that sounds harsh, but I don't have a lot of like feeling in my heart. That like oh, we should give him a pass on this. Like I know like oh good old Uncle Rick, but like come on.
1: <laughs> come on, Rick.
0: Come on, Rick.
1: Man, we can't fucking say that properly anymore.
0: No, ever since a uh, fucking uh ever <laughs> since somebody pointed out and this is the this is me saying this sentence is gonna be the thing that makes it so Rick or I never come on the show. <laughs> um, but uh somebody in our Discord pointed out that like immediately nice after the show uh, Mouse of the show Mercy uh, pointed out that immediately after we posted the episode, uh, we fail No Nut November. We then posted the episode. Come on, Rick. Um, I'm gonna let you. i mean I'm gonna let you listeners figure that one out for yourselves.
1: Especially after she posted a screenshot where she deleted the comma from "Come on, Rick." <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Made it
1: sound more like an instruction than anything else.
0: Uh huh. Maybe. <laughs> You know, I was trying to leave it a little bit vague, but. <laughs> you, you can come back. Uh, no, it's fine. God. It's fine. He's in Rick Vancouver.
1: R- He's not coming on the show anyway. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we can't do this. We can't say this anytime someone uses that word. <laughs>
0: God, I need a drink. You good? No. Oh. <laughs> I feel lightheaded. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Um You know the Red Pyramid was pretty bad, but there um and there was another part that was bad, and that was the the weird just kind of the weird uh just like the weird structure of it, the weird framing device.
1: The framing device, which, honestly, I think kneecapped this series in a way.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: But yeah, it's it's possibly... Actually, you know what? I was going to say it might be at its worst in Red Pyramid. It's probably at its best and most textually justified in Red Pyramid. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I feel like the the shorter chapters make it at least sound like Carter and Sadie are passing the recorder back and forth while they're doing something else. And the idea that it is, like, this recording that gets the new recruits to come to the thing in Throne of Fire at least makes sense in the wider context of the series, even if it's still a bad device.
0: Yeah, that's true, that's true. There are moments, right? It's got its moments, like, it's got its moments in each book where it, like, feels like it justifies itself, but it really never fully does, it never has that, like yeah exactly it just never (laughs) it's it never feels like it should be there it just feels like it should be a book that it has multiple different perspectives and doesn't feel like it has to have a reason for it
1: yeah like you you can just write prose from three different perspectives you don't need to you don't need to write in a reason why
0: Uh uh-huh are we sure we don't want to talk about all these things as a whole because I'm like oh these are just all my problems with all the books
1: these are all kind of I think I think that might just be like a red pyramid thing though because red pyramids you know it's the foundation of the series it sets up a lot of the issues that kind of run structurally through it that's true Uh, to go to go to a more like red pyramid specific thing uh-huh. uh, I, I would like to say a nice thing about it
0: oh yeah for sure
1: uh, it really pulled its shit together at the end mm-hmm like, the last few chapters, uh, fun action, uh, we actually... The the book seems to find, like, the theme that it's been grasping for, which is, like, the coming-of-age thing that then kind of goes through the rest of the series. Yeah. We finally get some face time with Set, and he's, like, you know, one of the best characters in the series. Definitely. He's kind of really fun and charismatic. Uh, so, yeah, the the ending,
0: pretty good. Agreed. Uh, you know... I would also say the main character's pretty good. Yeah, I
1: we we talked a lot about how we didn't like Carter as less and less as the series went on, uh, but this is the start of the series, and he was fine in this book.
0: Definitely, and like, Sadie
1: was pretty good throughout.
0: <laughs> yeah, Sadie, I think Sadie and Carter really just kind of like are two very like not unique Rick Riordan protagonists. But there are twists on what we've seen so far that is interesting, kind of refreshing, and um, this like we It was nice to see these really well written main characters, and I, I appreciated it especially for the first book. Um, you know how that, how how that shook out as things got further on. Who's to say?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I appreciate that he at least took a risk on the main characters and didn't just like write Percy Jackson but doing Egyptian magic. Like they the different people with other struggles.
0: Yeah, like that's the thing is that these characters are coming from such a different perspective than the Camp Half Blood kids. Mm-hmm. And that really shows through. Yeah, so that's stuff good. So what's the judgment we have here? What's what's our final judgment for, for the Red Pyramid? Uh does this does this get to go and have its soul live on in the like live on in the afterlife? wander the deserts, or do we consign it to oblivion?
1: I might just go, go back over to the beach and just kind of kick it into the fire, if I'm honest. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it's, it's got its moments, but, like, I mean, we haven't really mentioned this, but that first, like, third to half of the book is such a drag. It's almost unreadable. <laughs> it's just exposition dump after exposition dump with no, like, real idea of what's happening or why somehow despite that which is kind of incredible to to manage
0: so many lame attempts at humor that just fall through in a way that like the humor in in, like rick riordan's books just never had before outside of like i don't know some of the shit in sea of monsters yeah
1: definitely like it's so weird because there is like i feel like there's a point in um red pyramid like i think it was like chapter 16 where suddenly the jokes start being funny and they remain consistently funny for the rest of it but like before that it's all duds
0: Uh uh-huh it's like what happened here is was there a point where he was just like okay i am writing this and enjoying it (laughs) was it just like up to that point he was like okay i guess i should write a different mythology book now i really want to like know the inner psyche of rick riordan here i think between that and the uh, the
1: way that it kind of stumbles into its themes at the end rather than really setting them up at the start it does kind of feel like this was a book that he like found his groove for while he was writing it definitely and like good for him but uh fucking redraft it so that it's like that consistently
0: god please
1: <laughs> which uh, probably probably not entirely fair i imagine that he was on a pretty di- tight deadline for this stuff
0: probably right like these came out so fast
1: but still, we had to read a bad book, so...
0: So, who's to say whether or not Rick Riordan deserves to go to hell? <laughs> we will have to judge Rick Riordan's soul at the end of this
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, once we're done with all the books, we can we can determine whether or not Rick Riordan gets the... Uh, whether the feather will weigh him true or not. <laughs> have you followed my aunt, Rick Riordan? I don't know that you have. Maybe you have. You seem like a decent person. Uh, but... Who's to say? Yeah, it seems like uh, most
1: of the bad shit you do, you do just kind of on accident. So that's something.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, so Red Pyramid, I'd say, you know, Amit gets the munch on it. Yeah. Yeah. Insert cute image of Ammit eating a book here.
1: Yeah, just just feed the book to that fucking Apple Pokemon. <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, people got so mad at us for the, for that last people episode. People were very
1: very angry about it. Me was all your fault.
0: <laughs> it was Listen, all your I, fault. I
1: I call them like I see him
0: You see them wrong. <laughs> anyway, bring up the next prisoner.
1: This is the same company that made God of War. They know what they're doing.
0: <laughs> you can't say shit like that. <laughs> It's a normal-looking Pokemon. It's just—it's a woman with a dress. The fucking Throne of Fire. Let's talk about the Throne of Fire.
1: Let's... Yeah, let's... Next
0: next prisoner. All right. Why'd I say... Pri- I, they're not prisoners. They're just dead people. It's fine. I mean, we said that they were in chains and we getting beaten up. They're kind of
1: prisoners at that point.
0: Sorry for imprisoning these dead people for no reason, as if it's our fault. It's, well, what... The
1: author is already dead. Not really, uh-huh. because we we talk a lot about Rick Riordan, specifically with these books, so. That's true. Whatever. Next book.
0: All right, Throne of Fire. This was a book that I, I feel like at points I enjoyed both much, much less than Red Pyramid and much, much more.
1: I feel like, yeah, Red Pyramid kind of, for all its flaws, has a consistency to it. And Throne of Fire is just like throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Uh-huh like it's it's got some really good bits especially in the middle but like the the last act especially is kind of just a nightmare
0: yeah like i i don't know why i just cannot keep that book in my mind for some reason like the problem is that it it's a trilogy mm-hmm. and the middle is so weak it's so very very weak that i'm just like I don't know. Because it
1: does just kind of feel like an extended prologue to Serpent Shadow. Uh-huh. I feel like you could probably slice a decent amount out of both books, mush them together, and just have a King Chronicles duology.
0: You really probably could. This, this could be one book. Is this our new theory that this could just be one book? Is this <laughs> our suggestion? <laughs> uh, hmm. I guess...
1: I guess, uh... Yeah, no, it could probably just be one book. If you just replace the <laughs> like, the hunt for um, the the different bullshit to um, imprison Apophis in Throne of Fire with the hunt for the uh, execration spell in um, Serpent Shadow, you could probably have been two and done.
0: But it's weird. I don't know. It's like nothing even gets us. As... It feels like nothing even gets to the heights of like, okay, not nothing. But very few things get to the heights of like even the red pyramid, the best red pyramid stuff, which was like the scene of Nut and mm-hmm. uh, and Geb, which I, I forgot to call out, but I think that was also a really good like kind of like actually making the distinction of these Egyptian gods that they are yeah. like these the these cyclical eternal forces of nature that don't have the same like they're not they're not just the Greek gods again,
1: So which I guess is like a problem with Throne of Fire because. Red Pyramid, I think, actually set that up pretty well. And Throne of Fire is the start of tossing that out of the window and just going back to them being the Olympians again.
0: Yeah, and like I think the ending, the ending goes okay with that. Like by, I think by the end of the series, they feel they still feel largely distinct. But mm-hmm. I don't know what the gods' position was in Throne of Fire, like
1: because <sighs> we get Bez, who is just an Olympian. Uh-huh. Because like, he, he never talks about having a host in the mortal realm or anything like that. And I, I I remember kicking about the theory at the time that it might be because he got absorbed into the Roman pantheon for a while, but the the book's a mum on whether or not that's what the, the case is.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, you know, speaking of Romans, we gotta shout out Mad Claude.
1: We do need to shout out Mad Claude, absolutely one of the highlights of the book.
0: You know, I'm, I'm looking at my notes for this. The beginning of Throne of Fire was pretty strong this is where we get like the training scene that we both really liked Mm-hmm. this is where we get like uh, I don't know like we got Sadie's entire London sequence which I thought was good
1: yeah Sadie was pretty good in this book
0: oh for sure for sure but also I think there was also some decent Carter stuff this is where Carter's character starts to like show his ultimate character arc though and I his ultimate character arc is not one that I care for
1: and also uh, where we get um, Carter's character arc entirely being told to us as stuff he's done between books.
0: Uh huh. Which I don't know. I, some of that is justified, I guess. Time has passed, but also. Eh.
1: But also, that's not where you put
0: all the character development. You really should not. Uh, um.
1: Oh. Uh. Walt. I feel like we we came to like Walt a lot more in *Serpent Shadow*.
0: He became a character in Serpent's Dado. He didn't, have, he didn't yeah. have a character in Throne of Fire.
1: Yeah, he was just kind of a mystery box who was really irritating to have to deal with.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, he was... Did we learn... We learned he was sick in the last book.
1: Yeah, we le- we learned that in the tomb with Mad Claude, I think is when right. we learned that about his um, magic cancer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for the beginning, it's like, okay, Sadie has a crush, I get it. It's It feels very, like love triangle and i'm i don't know not super. i wasn't super into it what's it did i say something wrong? sorry i don't know i'm i you said that you
1: were looking over your notes and i realized that's a good idea i should crack open my notes as well to make sure i don't forget anything uh-huh. and i'm just looking at my notes for chapter 19 of the throne of fire i'm almost certain that i didn't mention this in an episode
0: uh-huh. The note I've
1: written is, in all caps, Oh god, the Dewart is the fucking farthest reach from Homestuck. Ah.
0: <laughs> Explain yourself, please.
1: Well, I don't... If I had to guess at what I was thinking several weeks ago when I wrote that, it would be, you know, time is fucky there, it doesn't work properly. There's a bunch of dread, eldritch gods work that like live there. Uh, when characters get knocked out or have dreams of stuff, they can descend into the Dewart.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god Jane it's wild to me that you thought of the fuck out of all the things you could pull from Homestuck it was the farthest reach I think that like, was
1: when like that that week during the Homestuck reading we were like talking about uh, Rose explaining that
0: sure I'm just like wow you really have changed since the beginning of this podcast <laughs>
1: this is your fault you did this to me anyway i'm sorry that's it's
0: yeah it's entirely my fault i think bez is a highlight of this book um for how much pretty good for how much he just feels like an olympian it's like there's obviously the whack shit with like like ableism
1: and the official arts weird anti-semitism aside
0: Uh uh-huh aside from all that which does need to be talked about we talked about it already but like mm-hmm. bez it ends up being a pretty good character i i i definitely did have a have a tear when he sacrificed himself
1: yeah that was that was a very cool scene i like that bit a lot i like um don't remember what his fucking name was but the weird sleazy moon god guy was a fun character
0: oh uh kanum that's it oh wait no 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 that's not it. Uh, that's the that's the other guy. Where's my notes? What the fuck? No, I found
1: my, my notes for chapter twenty-one. I just didn't write the dude's name down.
0: I also don't have notes beyond <laughs> chapter twenty for some reason. Whack. I um anyway Moon god the...
1: Egypt. I imagine this is this is what Rick did before he wrote that
0: chapter. Uh huh.
1: <laughs> konsu.
0: Oh yeah, konsu. Konsu is definitely cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. He's he's just a good sleaze bag character. If there's one thing that these books are good at, uh, it's sleaze bag characters. There's a couple of good ones.
0: A wide variety of different, like we have like f- at least four different sleaze bags who all feel very distinct from each other in a very good mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um, uh... it's weird because I th- I'm like reading over my notes. I think there is a lot of stuff in this book that I did enjoy, but it has just such a bad and nothing aftertaste. I think the the thing about
1: Throne of Fire is that it's got some good ideas, and the pace is fast enough that you can kind of just ride along with it while you're reading it. But like once it's over and you look back at everything that's happened, it was kind of an inconsequential mess.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. And like I think comparing... I feel like the middle and last half of the Throne of Fire is kind of comparable to the beginning of The Red Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Like It feels like there was a stretch The end of that first book and the beginning of that second book Where Rick Riordan got back on his game And then just kind of fell off again Yeah,
1: because like, it does kind of feel like a continuation of him being on his groove At the end of Red Pyramid
0: Yeah, for sure
1: I wonder if it was maybe like He got back in it, he was ready to go again And then like a note came down from Hyperion or Disney or whoever Saying right this has to be a trilogy
0: Uh, It's very possible
1: Maybe planning some more books And just like fuck Now I need to cram all this stuff into this book And just kind of set things up for a finale in the next one Uh, Fuck this project
0: Oh I thought you were going to go the other way That like maybe it was a duology At the beginning Oh right. Because thinking about it This book could have ended here They fight Apophis They resurrect Ra Yeah that's true it just so happens that like oh you know they weren't able to like fully resurrect him they you know they there there's some dangling threads for sure but like it feels like maybe yeah yeah i don't know the the
1: stakes are set up as like this is the battle to save the world and then all the conditions to fulfill battle to save the world are filled except they just kind of don't do anything at the end and we just need to wait for the next book
0: yeah, they explicitly make it so that, like, Desjardins sacrifices himself, and it's just a thing of, like, waiting. Like, he's temporarily stopped Apophis so they can do another Apophis fight next book.
1: Thank God Desjardins has justified another sequel.
0: God. You know what? Maybe I'm taking away his award his of heroism. <laughs> uh, what's the villain in this book's name? Menshikov?
1: Menshikov is a fucking nothing flatline villain. <laughs>
0: absolutely at first I was like ooh maybe he'll be kind of scary and fucked up he wasn't
1: he wasn't he was just the 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 ultimate disappointment with him is the reveal at the end that he has just been possessed by Apophis for years and has had no real agency in what he's been doing like he's just a, a hand puppet
0: it's a three book cycle uh in the first book you know set is possessed by apophis in the second book Menshikov is possessed by apophis in the third book the rebel magicians are possessed by apophis no that's uh, not true
1: that's not true wait what do you mean uh, it's it's face of horror that gets possessed by apophis in red pyramid
0: you're right you're right <laughs> I, he was influencing him though definitely oh face of horror he comes back in Throne of fire right
1: uh, he comes back in um, *Serpent Shadow, I think. He's on uh, Thoth's Pyramid. You're right, you're right. It's just occurred uh- to me that, like, you you laying that out has been like, oh, this was another, like, Chronos style. This villain was watching from the shadows and manipulating everything. And it's really weird to me that Apophis was so shit while Kronos was such a good example of that kind of villain. Uh-huh. Like, Rick, you already did this properly. How, how did he get it so wrong? <laughs> I
0: mean, he must not... I don't think, as a writer, you you want to write the exact... I mean, some people do. Some people very much do want to write the same thing over and over again and iterate on it over and over again. But I think specifically, like, this probably isn't the kind of thing you want to do twice in a row. Um, I guess,
1: but then pick a different villain archetype.
0: Yeah. It, it feels like he must have been going for something, like... Because here's what I think. I think that Apophis is supposed to be less of, like, a shrewd manipulator and more mm-hmm. of, like... A tempting force of nature And uh-huh. I think that comes through When like Every time people get around him They talk about like the pull of chaos Making them want to like be their worst selves um, And uh-huh. things like that But I think ultimately It just doesn't come off that way Because it just doesn't It's not executed successfully I can't exactly say why I Maybe it's just because Uh huh.
1: I think I, I have what it is and the okay. reason that the, the whole temptation thing falls so flat is that Apophis materially has nothing he can offer them. Like he can't offer the magicians anything because the gods, Apophis even points this out, the gods are already giving them such a raw deal that if Apophis was offering anything at all, it would like create like a big genuine dilemma for the heroes like, wait, should we go with Apophis? And that's not—I guess—that's not really the kind of complexity you can have in a book like this. Like, it needs to be fairly cut and dry because it's ultimately like a YA kids book.
0: It's weird because even Percy Jackson went into that kind of complexity sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the series, Percy was talking about how like he wanted the Titans to be forgiven. Like he wanted like not like not all the Titans, but like th- there there was that was whole like, fucking chapter yeah, damn with so.
1: Damn right, the minor gods turned on you, you idiots. Yeah, You've like been there was. Them for millennia.
0: There was a degree of complexity there that isn't here in like the the King Chronicles, and I think that's really yeah. disappointing. It just, and I think this comes back to in another way how disappointing Apophis is as a main antagonist. I wish they had leaned in. I wish Rick Riordan had lead into the thing. like. Because I think that could be like a cool existential threat yeah. um, on a level that like, I think, okay, so there's a level of, there's a level of this is going to end the world threat that usually does not end up feeling like there are stakes, right?
1: I have a big blue sky laser and it's going to make everything explode.
0: But the other, the... You can actually go past that, I think And make it feel like there are stakes again And that's when you are Making things that feel just like Legitimate human anxiety Like, Mm -hmm. things like Entropy, things like Climate collapse, things like Just like, when when the end of the world Things become this Like, that Actually makes it somewhat more effective Usually And if Rick Riordan had leaned into that with Apophis in some way, I think this could have worked a lot better, but it just, Apophis was not, was going to create a new evil chaos world. It was, I guess. So may- so what you're saying is maybe
1: Apophis could have gone in more of a like, cosmic horror direction.
0: Something like that. Yeah, I think so. Well, like,
1: in- instead of having a face and being like, ooh, come over to my side, I'm tempting you. He is just like this horrible, unstoppable force that is difficult to fully comprehend. Because as we get a little bit of that with the Sea of Chaos in Serpent Shadow. But, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. If if he was actually, like, properly expressing any kind of anxiety, he would work much better as a kind of force of nature villain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that would work better with what the gods here seem to have originally been meant to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Because they... Like- they in Red Pyramid, they were very well set up as these kind of like cyclical force of nature kind of entities.
0: Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. I think there was just there are some serious fumblings here with the villains. Um, what's our ultimate? We we have to move on. What's our ultimate judge? Our ultimate judgment? Are we are we getting rid of Throne of Fire? Or are we letting it? Are we deciding it can it can frolic? I'm I'm sticking with my judgment from the end of
1: Throne of Fire. I think it's worse than Red Pyramid overall.
0: Yeah. i i think in retrospect i don't know i'm not sure if i agree because i feel like red pyramid just sucked so bad red pyramid
1: sucked really bad but i feel like it at least was trying to do some stuff that red pyramid then like it set up some decent ideas that red pyramid that throne of fire then fucks up and wastes the potential of which is worse in my opinion
0: that's fair that's fair all right well uh, if one of us says that a soul has to be consigned <laughs> to oblivion, then it immediately goes into effect. So uh, Amit gets another tasty meal.
1: Amit does indeed get chomp another book. So wait, I'm curious. If if it wasn't for me yelling that it's bad, would you uh, have, have saved it despite its flaws?
0: I think it's an incredibly flawed book. I think I would say that it's like, I don't know. I think because of how much of a mixed bag it is, I think that there is so much potential there. Mm -hmm. and like so many times that it does just like make me cheer and like hell yeah this is pretty cool that i do just like want to save it kind of i understand that all right well uh thrown a fire is in the is in the fire so let's 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 talk the book that we just finished up with and probably probably a little bit quicker because we've we've i'm sure it's fresh in our listeners minds
1: yeah
0: uh serpent's shadow time
1: Serpent Shadow. I wonder if I, I maybe like I feel like this book the same way that you do about Throne of Fire. Uh-huh. And there there is some solid stuff in here. And I feel like it might might be enough to weigh outweigh the bullshit.
0: I think Serpent's Shadow is the best book in the series. Mm-hmm. Okay I, I just think that's true. Like I think it's more consistent. I think it's I think it does as good of a job as it can at recovering from the past mistakes of the previous two books.
1: Definitely. Like it is at least a functional ending, even if it's not a spectacular finale.
0: No. Yeah. Like the fact that it made me feel anything at all is kind (laughs) of like the, the fact that it made me like, I don't know the fact that I wasn't entirely like, over, like, the Walt, Sadie, Anubis thing the entire time is genuinely kind of impressive to me.
1: Especially given how, like, obvious it was where that was going and how much the book was trying to be coy about it. Uh-huh. Like, it, the the characters were strong enough that I could remain invested, so yeah, that's definitely a, a point in its favor.
0: Yeah. I don't know, do we want to talk about a little bit of the bullshit first?
1: Let's talk about some of the bullshit. Uh apophis causing the 2011 egyptian revolution
0: okay this is another <laughs> example of things that definitely are heavily implied by i would say rick's carelessness
1: definitely it's he, he killed god in throne of fire and then did this in this book i wonder if he just doesn't entirely think through what he's writing sometimes
0: wait here's something i forgot to say uh-huh Um, in our but like there was a part in Serpent's Shadow where it was like, it almost sounded like, I don't know, Rick Riordan or Carter, the character, was like implying that maybe like the Christian God is out there and like is a still above it all and like created all these different pantheons. Did you notice that? Wait, what? No? What are you talking about? Okay. So there's a part in chapter 16 Sadie Ride's shotgun, worst idea ever. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. Carter says, I knew those thoughts weren't really mine. The voice of Apophis was whispering in my head, tempting me as it had before. I concentrated on the glowing white obelisk, our lighthouse in the storm of chaos. I didn't know if that spire was really the first part of creation, or how that myth jived with the big bang, or with God creating the world in seven days, or whatever else people might believe. Maybe the obelisk was just a manifestation of something larger, something my mind couldn't comprehend." Whatever the case, I knew the obelisk stood for Ma'at and I had to focus on it, otherwise I was lost. Hmm. To me, I don't know. Part of this feels like Rick Riordan being like, you know, maybe the something larger is God. But I feel like
1: that that's kinda of, that's the implication there. I don't know if that stacks up to the like much clearer implication in Throne of Fire that God isn't real. <laughs>
0: Uh Uh-huh, well, (laughs) remind me what that was again.
1: That was um, Carter explicitly saying that uh, Moses parting the Red Sea did happen, but it was because of Egyptian magic, not a miracle sent by God.
0: (laughs) Right, God, that's so fucking good. (laughs) No, Moses, I think Moses being a, um, being an Egyptian magician is the funniest thing in the world here.
1: It's so good.
0: Like, it's one of the best things about the series. (laughs) God, like i don't know yeah I, I i'm reaching there a bit but it, it was it was an interesting like thing to leave open like the idea like oh all of this is actually still created by something higher than even the gods
1: yeah i think i think that's also um that's also what chiron implies in lightning thief is that uh-huh. percy, percy is like wait what does that mean for like the christian god that all of this is real and chiron's like fuck if i know
0: uh-huh <laughs> it's it's a very non-answer in a way that I think is what you have- maybe you have to go for.
1: You have to toe the line, otherwise, like, the the same parent groups who got Harry Potter banned for teaching, like, kids Wicca or whatever the fuck uh, will come after you if you, like, <laughs> say, like, oh no, God's not real.
0: God, that'd be great, though. I would love if that <laughs> had been written in this book.
1: I seem to remember like... us early on in Percy Jackson rooting for him killing the Christian God at the end of that series.
0: Maybe it'll happen in <laughs> Heroes of Olympus. You know, maybe maybe it'll maybe that's what the trials of apollo are going to be about. Apollo has to go <laughs> into into the Christian heaven, climb up that little staircase, open up that yeah. little gate and, you know, deliver the final blow. Hell yeah. Uh, I don't know. This book, yeah, I think this book was the best one. That's that's my thought.
1: Yeah, I would I would say so. It's, it's, it's... I mean the the ending, nah. It's it's kind of the ending is mad, but that's only because the previous series has kneecapped it.
0: Right, like I think the metaphor I tried to use was that it was like, or the one I tried to say, and then I just said some bullshit last episode, uh-huh. was that it's like, it's like riding a wave that like slowly is, but the problem is that the wave is like very tiny, so you're doing the <laughs> best you can, but you will eventually, like, stop being able to do your cool surfing tricks.
1: But, and importantly, uh, it doesn't fall off the surfboard and eat shit.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Oh, the, the other highlight of this book, I think. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the hunter chapter, with the god the who hunter. is just, like, a survivalist prepper.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: both, like, a really great idea for an action scene with, like, the zipping around and teleporting in the forest, and also extremely funny with that god just being a fucking lunatic. Yeah.
0: It's weird how with us constantly complaining about how, like, oh, this action scene has no sense of place. It sucks. (laughs) Like, one where just, like, the main, like, actors in it are just, like, constantly zipping around from place to place is one of the best ones is, like, kind of surprising to me.
1: I think that's because, uh, like, it's less a fight and more of a chase. Like, you're not reading, like, this attempt at like cool fight choreography it's like it's abstracted to be like a chase over several hours as they run around the forest uh huh so you can kind of get away with not having that sense of place as much
0: that's true that's definitely true yeah yeah I don't know uh I I also think that like Sadie kind of like continues to be the best character yeah I mean
1: she's not got a lot of competition but yeah (laughs) she's good
0: Oh, and, and Setne. Setne is that the, the the biggest highlight, of course.
1: Setne, yeah, I think is, like, the apex scumbag in this series where we got some pretty decent scumbags. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's got some decent complexity to him. Uh, I'd be excited to see him turn up again in, like, the crossover, I hope. I hope so. It's either him or Mad Claude.
0: Uh-huh. So, so Serpent Shadow.
1: Serpent Shadow gets to live, in my opinion. Partly out of pity,
0: I would like go back and read this maybe sometime. Interesting.
1: I don't think I'm ever going to touch it again.
0: I probably not. But if I was <laughs> if I was going to reread any of these books, it might be this one. Yeah, that makes sense. It's weird how much of a non-character Jazz ends up being.
1: Oh god, yeah, I got I legit forgot that she was in Serpent Shadow. Like she shows up as a, in the throwaway line like two times.
0: I kind of thought she died and thrown a fire for a little bit I forgot that she was healed at the end and so when she turned back up I was just surprised
1: at least she's more of a presence than Julian whoever the fuck that is
0: I mean okay another thing that I did like from these the second two books was like introducing I think it was a good idea to introduce this gaggle of children
1: it was handled horribly but it was a good idea exactly <laughs> which is the nicest thing we can say about a lot of these books
0: yeah, so Serpent Shadow gets to live. Just Jane. Yeah. Uh, before we Before we give our final thoughts on this series as a whole, do we want to like take? Do we want to answer some questions from listeners? Let's Let's answer
1: some questions from listeners. How many questions uh, do we have from listeners? Uh, we have one question from listeners.
0: All right. Uh, so this comes in from Mouse of the show, Marcy. Uh, thank you very much. <sighs> At least we have one listener in this hard, hard world. <laughs> That's not, i know we have i know we have more listeners than that love all of you parasocially
1: love all you parasocially please keep giving us money
0: please if you don't <laughs> give us money please keep giving us plays we, and we also need to give feed us more books yes uh if the king chronicles was Gun rompa what would the kids ultimate talents be also what if monokuma was there just a the thought jane do you ever play Gun rompa
1: no i've seen one abridged series of like an anime okay so that's and that was years ago and i think it's been struck off youtube since and that's my entire context for danganronpa
0: gotcha i i uh was there when the 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 something awful let's plays happened i was following those uh i've watched let's plays of all the translation translated official ones um Mm -hmm. I, I read the fucking like Danganronpa Zero like n- novel that happened. Uh, that was like a <laughs> prequel. Uh, I never play Ultra Despair Girls because I heard it sucks. But uh, so I'm a I'm a bit of a Danganronpa expert, I guess you could say.
1: Interesting.
0: Do you know what an ultimate talent is?
1: Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and guess that it's like a stand.
0: So it's not yeah, like a yeah, stand. one specific unique power. An ultimate talent is like a specific talent that, like the school, like it's they're, they're like seeking you out and saying like, "Oh, you're the best kid at you're the best teenager in the world at knowing like anthropology, or uh-huh. like s- the best like the best student at swimming, like that kind of thing." Hmm. Um. I think that sadie would be the super high school level
1: hmm i feel like she's a super high school level bullshitter because she she strings along weird survivalist god she strings along mad claude she is really good at just like blagging her way through situations
0: this is the power of 13 year old girls (laughs) carter i'll call carter like the super high school level i want to say like nerd or like (laughs) i guess is he just the super high school level pharaoh
1: I guess he is. That's his, his talent is being a pharaoh.
0: Yeah, like as as time goes on, he becomes he's like a miniature Egyptologist, but he doesn't really. I don't know. It kind of loses it as time goes on.
1: Yeah, again, I, I I feel like at some point he must have had that realization of wait, this is all my shit. Uh huh. That's <laughs> being cut <laughs> off to these museums. Fuck.
0: God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zia would be like the super high school level. I guess Warhammer player. Oh yeah. Uh, can I? Well, can
1: I? Uh uh-huh. I I can employ my one bit of Danganronpa knowledge here. Please. Uh, and say that uh, if you, if you put um Dangan- uh what's his name Monokuma in uh, King Chronicles, he would simply replace Horus, because he also <laughs> has uh, weird mismatched eyes.
0: Wait, that's so funny. Yeah, Thank you're you. right. You're very right. I would love. Monokuma. I would love him if he was in this game. That's my Monokuma voice. Uh huh. God, I overheard you talking about Dong and Play. You actually like that show. It's trash.
1: (laughs) I was about to say, that's not your impression of the bear. That's your impression of that fucking video.
0: (laughs) That's my impression of the bear, also. The bear just sounds like that. I don't know if you know this. I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I've only seen an Abridged series. That's fair. Oh, God. Um, while super high school level, uh, terminally ill child
1: <laughs> he's very good at dying
0: i guess he wasn't good at dying actually actually no he did i mean he did like die it's just then yeah. he got like
1: resurrected as a zombie yeah
0: but that's like a that's not you're not supposed to die like that that's a bad way of dying i guess No, you're right super high school level alive <laughs> jazz super high school level healer i guess
1: Sure, that that is a, th- a fact that we are told about her character because we don't actually see her do anything.
0: Super high school level cheerleader because she's the girl and she's a cheerleader and she heals people. Um, are there any other, other kids in this book? Leonid? Uh,
1: super Leonid, high school
0: level Russian.
1: Super high school level ability to survive terminal lion injury.
0: Doesn't he just show up at the in the second book and he, like, has a gun?
1: <laughs> yeah, he... he He is, like, one of the guards in Menchikov's palace who uh, Sadie, like, bumps into.
0: I think it'd be funny if he, like, used that sometime.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe that's how he survived that encounter with, like, the giant lion or whatever it was that fucking gored him.
0: Maybe. I think it was just, it was just, uh, what's-her-name, fucking Jacoby.
1: Yeah, it might have been.
0: And which of these kids, this is not part of the question, but because it's a rumpa question, which of these kids would snap and kill kill each other?
1: uh which what was the name of that fucking three-year-old that's drawing like pictures of apophis with his head cut off and running around screaming death death or whatever it was
0: oh it's like Maisie or like Uh uh-huh stacy it's it's a name that's kind of like sadie if i remember correctly
1: yeah and it kind of seemed like that might be a setup for something or it was gonna go somewhere and then it just kind of didn't
0: just a cute little kid i guess yeah so i guess kid who likes death super high school level toddler will will be the first to commit murder. <laughs> and then there'll be a the hilarious CG execution.
1: Of Ammit eating them.
0: Oh, what if there was like a little Monokuma Ammit?
1: Okay, that's very good. Wait, I want to talk about a cool Egypt thing that I just found out about. What's that? I was googling um the the name of like the uh, the burial knife from Throne of Fire. Oh, the... Like, um... oh.
0: Netjari blade?
1: That's what it's called. Yeah, Let's get Netjari. Netjari is and autopsy of the series.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart. I think that's also just a word that means, like, demon.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: Or, or like, just, like, kind of just, like, um, implies, like, a being of the duat, basically.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, well, th- anyway, what I
1: found when I googled uh, Egypt's knife name was an article about a knife that was found in Tutankhamun's tomb... Uh, which Ooh. was apparently made of uh, iron
0: from a meteorite. That's fucking awesome.
1: That rules. So uh, shout outs to Walt's great 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 whatever grandfather.
0: Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Two in common. I don't know if anyone else has said this before, but <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, let's let's let's. Here's my question. I think for this, for I guess my final question of the Kane Chronicles as of, as as of yet. Uh huh. Is this just a really is, is the problem of this that it just tried to be a really traditional coming of age story by the end of it and that it fell into like a lot of the more boring trappings of YA or is there something is there something more is there something more going on here?
1: Uh, I feel like that's definitely like that has to be like a major component of it, right?
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: like especially Carter's character arc, like that is boringified by that happening and by that becoming more prominent as the series goes on. And I feel like also, like, what what you were talking about before, about, like, um, Apophis being more of a existential threat, as this, like, weird entropy god. I wonder if one of the problems with the series is, like, that would have worked if things had stayed consistent with Red Pyramid, and, like, the gods were all portrayed that way. But because Rick, for whatever reason, maybe he kind of lost faith in the idea, went back to portraying the Egyptian gods as basically the Olympians... Like the reason Apophis then falls flat is because it feels like he needs to have some kind of pathos, because he's basically a person but bigger, and also yeah. snake. So his it, lack of that really sticks out.
0: It's almost like he, even and this starts in Red Pyramid too, with like with like Set and to an extent with Horus and Isis, but mm-hmm. like it feels like he just really really wants the gods to be characters. And maybe they yeah. just, like, didn't need to be characters in the series.
1: Yeah, just... Because you have to abandon a, a degree of that, like, relatability and personability when you are writing them that way. And it's maybe just that he just couldn't do that.
0: Right, like, he... I don't know. It, it feels like there is a, a big issue there, and, like... A, as much as I'm like, oh, yeah, I love Bez. I love all the silly little gods that run around. Uh, I... I don't know... I think it would have been cool if he actually like shot for the like interesting like like just completely different like the gods are more mysterious. We ha- we have to like think of like the conflict more of like what does it mean to for of like the the separation between magicians and the gods and like all that kind of stuff. Like I yeah, because that- it take.
1: Because it takes until *Serpent Shadow for us to really get, like, an examination of why it might be a bad idea for the Magician side of the gods. And I feel like that, that kind of thing should have been introduced way sooner to keep that sense of, like, danger and mystique around the gods.
0: But if the gods are just characters that live inside the main character's heads, it becomes mm-hmm. a lot harder. Because it's like, yeah. okay, well, these are just people. And these are just people is sort of just the same thing that was said in Percy Jackson yeah and that's fine it's fine to have a story where like oh the gods are just people like that's a i think that's a very common story especially like i think it's becoming increasingly popular it's just like hit
1: movie gods of egypt
0: uh-huh it's also like you know it's like i don't know jesus christ superstars i guess a point mm-hmm. of comparison uh or like i don't know i think there's some some of that stuff in like um like the lock Tomb trilogy Ooh yeah uh, which I haven't finished reading, but... How, how are you getting on with those? Uh, I I got halfway through... Uh, what's it called? Gideon the Ninth? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I stopped reading. <laughs> but I, I, I'll get back to it one day.
1: That's what I keep telling myself about Harrow as well. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. Um, and I think that's a fun story to tell. But it does. It this is it's like, it's the repetition thing. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's just the same thing as Percy Jackson, but a little bit different. And maybe this would have been cool if maybe the gods weren't just people. Maybe they were like gods, and that was like fully examined in that way.
1: Yeah, I feel that that is kind of like just like a fundamental flaw running through the foundations of this thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but I didn't. <sighs> All that to be said, I didn't like hate the Kane Chronicles or anything. No, it's not like. It's
1: certainly not the worst set of books
0: I've ever read. No. Like, there are points where I was incredibly disappointed in it. Uh, parts, just right. I was, like, baffled by how stupid it all was. Uh, Mm Um, but I. I don't know there was never I feel like there was never a set of chapters that went by without at least one thing bringing me some joy and I I appreciate that at least yeah the the
1: books were never like consistently bad enough to like actively piss me off like it was at, at most exhaustion or disappointment mm-hmm I have one last question for the end of the series as well please um where the fuck is Doughboy?
0: Where the fuck is Doughboy? <laughs> Doughboy is the most important character in the King Chronicles. I'm writing an essay on this. Doughboy, like, okay. So they introduce this guy, right? And he's like kind of, okay. So he's the first Shabti I think we see, right? Mm-hmm. And like, Shabti are so important in this series. Like, Doughboy should have come back at a later point to like, I don't know, it pick up Advise them on something or other Like I, I think that The fact that Shopped here is so important And Doughboy just got fucking like left in Nevada Is <laughs> so So disapp- Like so that sucks so bad This is the best character in the King Chronicles I need him back I need him in my life again I miss him so bad
1: I mean He's a guy He's sentient And they just kind of left him to die
0: He's just a guy and this,
1: just a, the same thing happens to Zia. They are just like, like they are clearly sentient, but they, I don't know, I guess they don't have souls or something. So they just kind of get tossed aside when they're done. We're done with. Well,
0: it's, a, it's enough to, it's enough for someone to simply get your memories. That makes it so that you're still living <laughs> on in a sense.
1: There is certainly no horrifying existentialism inherent to that idea.
0: You know, as I've been saying over and over again, it's really a story about grief. <laughs> you know you you carry the memories on the people who've passed away um yeah i guess we haven't talked about that but like i think one thing that the king chronicles did a lot was in its own way talk about grief and death um and in a way that like does feel appropriate for i guess like ancient egyptian religion you know mm-hmm um and even if it wasn't it wasn't like a consistent theme in a way that i would say but it was always there in the background and i think it did sometimes ground it when i was like i don't know looking for something to think about with this book there was always that like (laughs) sense of there's always that sense of like just like the death in the background that i appreciated
1: yeah it's definitely i mean you know the the series starts after their mom has died and their dad dies at the end of the first book. It looms large, even when it's
0: not being directly addressed. Exactly. Like, I think that their their dad is literally Osiris, god of the dead.
1: <laughs> and Sadie's trying to get with Anubis, the god, of, the other god of the dead.
0: Uh-huh. You know, I don't know. I don't have anything to say about that, but I, I think it's interesting, at least. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think, Jane? Better or worse than Percy Jackson? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like it is unfair to even compare them.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can compare them. This was worse.
1: It was It was definitely worse. I mean, Percy Jackson is no, like, transcendent visionary god series or anything. But it is just so much more solid than Kane Chronicles.
0: Yeah, and... Next week we'll be returning to that land. I mean, we're still in the same universe, but we'll be returning to the land of Greek gods with the Heroes of Olympus. Uh the first book, which I think is which is The Lost Hero. Uh my pile of Heroes of Olympus books
1: on the other side of the room, so I'm just going to say you're right. I'm
0: pretty sure it's The Lost Hero. Mhm. Uh we'll be reading the first I don't know how many chapters we'll we'll be reading. I'll I'll put it in the episode description. Yeah. Do you have any, I don't know, Jane, do you have any, like, hopes, feelings, expectations? Like, uh, anything you know beforehand?
1: I'm hoping that this is gonna be, like, kind of a return to form. Uh-huh. For for two main reasons. The first one being that, like, my my hope for the Kane Chronicles is that these suffered from being, like, bashed out on the side while he was working on the main series, which was Heroes of Olympus. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of where a lot more of the effort and quality went into. Right. And also, a lot of the problems we've highlighted with King Chronicles come from, like, Rick trying to differentiate the Pantheon, fucking it up, walking it back, and all the problems that came with that. And Heroes of Olympus, that's not an issue, because, like, we're dealing with mostly established stuff that's in his comfort zone.
0: I'm kind of scared of that return to form, to be honest. Oh? What if Rick grows stale in his complacency?
1: That's true, that could happen.
0: What 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 if these books just... I don't know... My 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 greatest fear is that I read these, and I did read most of these when I was a teenager. I don't remember them super well, but I remember trace things. Mm-hmm. I I guess I'm worried that like he's just gonna try and do Percy Jackson again, and that's gonna not be as good. I mean, I I can
1: assuage at least a little bit of that fear right off the bat. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because I know from my occasional dives into the Camp Half Blood subreddit. Um... The, uh, the reason a lot of people react badly when they crack open the first Heroes of Olympus book is that it's not from Percy's perspective. It's a different character.
0: Yes, that's very true. Uh, if, if you've been interested in... Well, we've been talking a lot about perspective throughout this series. We'll definitely uh-huh. be talking about that in Heroes of Olympus.
1: Is this where Rick finally sheds his chains and just is like, I'm writing a multi-character narrative, fuck you. Uh,
0: I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Thank God. I, I could be wrong... Uh, maybe I'll open up my PDF and find that it's like, all right, this is me, the new main character here, and I'm <laughs> I'm leaving an email, and we're all taking turns in this email. Do you
1: think like the the new Nico book is gonna be like presented as alternating TikToks?
0: <laughs> that'd be funny.
1: I feel like that would be funny for the first couple of chapters, and then it would wear really fucking thin.
0: Probably. I want Nico to do a TikTok dance. <laughs> He's too old. He doesn't know what, what TikTok is. God, I guess Nico Nico would be kind of old if the new one is set in like present day. Right. I wonder when. I wonder when it's set. Because I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how things go.
1: Oh, also, this isn't related to anything, but I found um, there's a book being published in uh, over here at the minute that is blatantly a Percy Jackson ripoff.
0: Wait, I just what to is call it? it
1: out. Uh, Scandar and the Unicorn Thief.
0: Skandar and the Unicorn Thief?
1: I mean, the title alone. <laughs> like, blank and the blank thief. And then it's about oh. a, a strange little boy getting a flying winged uh, unicorn, which is black, like looks a- an awful lot like Blackjack. Uh huh. Throwing around some lightning on this cover. I'm judging this just. I picked up a chapter sampler and I haven't read it. I'm just kind of judging it based on this. Uh uh-huh. I just think it blatantly looks like a Percy Jackson knockoff.
0: You know, and for our bonus show, we'll be reading Skandar and the Unicorn Thief.
1: <laughs> I don't know, maybe it'll be the best book ever written and I'll get crucified for talking about it like this. Who knows?
0: It really could be, you don't know. <laughs> how many How many chapters is that chapter sampler?
1: Uh, well, I cracked it open, and the middle is not actually the chapters, it's summing up the different power sets in this world. Oh god. Earth, water, fire, air. Oh god. AF Stedman, you're a fucking hack. Oh no, sorry, my mistake. Uh there's a fifth element, spirit.
0: <laughs> uh maybe we won't cover it on the bonus show. I don't know. Um I, but for I may now, as well
1: read this. I I picked it up because it was free.
0: Uh-huh. Well for now. I think for that now. does it for us today. <laughs> Uh, you can check us out twitter.com slash unwise girls uh, there you can find links to our personal twitters our discord server uh, our email and our patreon if you want to support us you can leave us a 5 star rating interview you can tell your friends about us uh, maybe tell them that you know we just finished a new series there's there's lots of lots of backlog content tell your friend who loves the Kane chronicles
1: um, go in with your expectations firmly lowered
0: <laughs> yep, uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, which we we would greatly appreciate, as to as to struggling early twenty somethings, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com dot slash Unwise Girls. Uh, there, you can leave us. Uh, I almost had a five star rating review. You can't do that, but you can leave I mean, us you can a do dollar. That in the
1: comment if you wanted to. Wouldn't I guess do you anything, can. but you know,
0: yeah. Um, but you what you can leave us is uh one dollar a month. Uh, where you get the role of Whittle Doe Being, which uh, gets you that role in the Discord server. And uh, we'll we'll give you a special thank you when you when you become one. Uh, one time. Uh, for $3 a month, you get access to all our bonus content, and you get the Discord server role of Big Ba Energy. I guess we're going
1: to have to change all these back. We'll change them to something else.
0: Probably. What do we do this week on the bonus
1: show, Jane? Uh, Good question. Uh, as, as of now, I've not actually edited and posted it.
0: <laughs> That's fine.
1: So I don't actually remember what we talked about. Uh, oh, we talked about Batman for like half an hour.
0: Yeah, we talked about Batman uh-huh. for a
1: long time. How most modern Batman media sucks. Uh, I said that Tim Drake was a shit character and Jacqueline told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, so if Jane, you want to listen
1: to that roaring drama.
0: <laughs> you listen to Jane get confused about who Cassandra Cain is. And me also get mad about that.
1: There's two different um, f- female bad characters with the surname Kane, and they're not fucking related to each other.
0: Uh, it's God. a
1: nightmare.
0: And we talk about Homestuck. It's still good.
1: So act six is surprisingly good so far.
0: And for $5 a month, you get the role of Bast Head Pat Pass. This is your last opportunity to use it. You need to find her.
1: Uh yeah, it becomes completely worthless after we change the role. Like you don't yeah. you don't get to keep that.
0: No, you you need to go on your quest.
1: <laughs> you must go to the realm of the gods and pat that cat.
0: Yes. Find a way. Uh and you also get all our bonus content and a special thanks at the end of every episode.
1: Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica Friend, and
0: Erica. Thank you everyone. Thank you. And As we always say, at the end of every single episode.
1: I guess it's literally true this week. Uh, See you next week, Camp Half-Blood.
0: See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye! Bye!